<laughs> it's funny. I was going to do that thing on childbirth. It's weird. Um, uh, gosh, you guys, good to be with you guys. I am, man, I'm excited to be back with you guys. If you don't know, I was, um, if you're new with us, uh, welcome. I, I talked to someone who just said, I've been coming here for a few weeks. And, um, you know, I, she, she said, this is a great story, by the way. This is, we're entering into a season of kind of inviting people, as we always are. You guys are such great at inviting people, but more now than really ever. And this is a, a great time to be, invite people who are, you know, unsure about Jesus or maybe as you're approaching Christmas. She said, she said, you know, I came at Christmas a couple times and I needed a church. I'm in some tough time in my life. And so I've just been, I don't know where else to go. I started coming to church um, here. And she was just really grateful. And so if you're new, I'm imagining some of you maybe have that same story that you have um, come to church and you're like, I'm not sure what's going to happen here. I'm at the end of my rope. I'm getting close to the holidays where things are, you know, or that's supposed to be all wonderful and it ends up being actually sometimes the pain gets escalated or it gets magnified a bit. Let me just say, I'm, I'm really glad that you're here. I'm, and it's my prayer. It's our, it's our staff's prayer. It's what we hope for you that today being here, God would minister to you in a way that you would feel encouraged, that you would feel empowered, that you'd feel like you're not alone. And so if that's you, just I'm really glad that you're here. You know, um, as we, uh, as I was, I was out of town the past couple of weeks, I was actually in Israel, and so a lot of you have been asking about that. Um, let me just tell you really quickly, uh, I don't have, people are like, you going to tell us all about it? And I'm like, yes, but not today. I'll tell you a couple things, though. One is um, that um, some of you are like, can we go? Can we do that trip? Is that possible? The answer is yes, next year at the same time. Um, so, you know, uh, November 9th through about the 18th or so, it's kind of weird because you actually cross a date line, so it's weird to tell you exact dates. I was trying to figure that out earlier. But basically the same time, if those of you guys are going, I want to go to Israel, I want to see what it's like to walk kind of in the quote-unquote footsteps of Jesus, to see where he conducted his ministry, to be a part of whatever, to kind of put a, a framework around the stories about here in the Bible. There is, it's really, I would, I would love to take everybody. If it was possible, I would do it. It is, it is really something that changes your life. It changes your perspective. So many people were like, I'm so glad you made it. We were so worried you are going to be unsafe. And I honestly, while we were there is when the Paris attacks happened. And um, what was interesting is I, I feel like if I had told everybody I was going to Paris, none of you would have said, are you sure you're going to be safe? And I went to Israel, and there was no drama, just to let you know. It's a lot of long bus rides and stuff like that, but that's it, okay. But I do want you to be able to be a part of it. It is unbelievable to see this stuff. It's unbelievable to kind of put together some things you didn't know before that you may have heard in the Bible, and then to go, that's where they go together. But more so, what we find is people go to this trip, and this is my first time going, was that people's lives are changed, not because they saw an archaeological dig, but because they saw what God wanted to do in their life, and they never would have seen it otherwise. So it's a very, very cool experience. I'll tell you more about it as days and weeks go on, but I want you to mark your calendar. For those of you guys, I want to do that. I will lead a trip next year, and I'd love for you to be a part of it. So start saving if you can do that. Okay, there you go. More details to come on that. Great stuff happening this week. We got Thanksgiving service on Thanksgiving Eve. For those of you who are like, I'm nervous about Thanksgiving. I don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be kind of a nightmare. One of the best things is to hear the collective group of people talk about what they're thankful for, to have the experience of people going, here's what I'm, great, I'm grateful for. Or it's been a huge hit for us in the past couple of, of years. Love for you to be a part of that. Don't miss it. Some of you are like, I can't come. I have family coming into town. Trust me, bring them too. Bring them too. It will really, really shape the way you encounter Thanksgiving. But next week we start our Advent series. We got tree lighting on December 6th. It's going to be unbelievable. And on top of that, we just added this to the calendar. December 11th is a date night. For those of you guys who are married, we're going to put on a date night. Yeah, you're welcome. Woo, okay, cool. So me and Amanda are actually going to teach that one, so I'd love to have you guys be a part of that. There's some great stuff we have been talking about we'd love to share with you guys. That's December 11th. That's coming up. You'll hear more about that. All right, now, we are approaching Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is this kind of, it's this every year tradition, right, where we, we get together and we eat way more than we should and all that kind of stuff. But everybody around the world, I mean, at least we can imagine, everybody around the world goes, being thankful is a good thing. Nobody says, you know, well, 
I wish there was a little bit less thankfulness, a little less gratitude in the world. Everybody says, where there's a little bit of thankfulness, some is good, but more is better. We look at the, you know, people on the Facebook are posting their, you know, 28 days or whatever of gratitude and all the things they're thankful for. And it's something that's frequently talked about in the Bible. It's something that we see, oops, something that we see all the time in the Bible. And you see a phrase over and over again, it looks like this. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. You see this a bunch of times in the Bible. Something good happens, something's about to be good. This is the beginning of a psalm in which the psalmist starts with, let's just start with giving thanks. It's because, you know, God's good and he's, his love endures forever. You see this phrase over and over again. So the Bible is directing people to that end. And in some way or another, more and more thankfulness is better. And so what we want to talk about today is what does that actually look like? What does it actually mean and how do we get there? Because we live in a world that seems to be at odds with Thanksgiving despite the fact that we have two days off every year to celebrate it, Thursday and Friday. So what does it look like? Let's pray. Father, we, um, as we mentioned before, there's lots of different ways in which we enter into this place. Some of us, Father, are, um, are longing for a, a, re- a renewed sense of home. Some of us, Father, are longing for the, the things that, we, that cannot be purchased, that cannot be bought, that cannot be owned or acquired, but need to be experienced in you, perhaps. Jesus, might we acknowledge today that we have an abundance. We want to live as grateful people. Father, for just a moment, before everything, before everybody else in our family shows up, or we have to pack up the car and drive somewhere, and put on the face of great to see you. <laughs> Jesus, right now, would you just give us a sense of at least one thing for which we can be grateful? Just for a moment, would you speak to us about that? Just for 10 seconds or so. Father, today, Would you restore in us with great joy what's lost in all of our cravings, our appetites to acquire things? Might we discover your great love again, maybe for the first time. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, you got a you got a little bulletin in your hands on the back side of it, or depending on what side you're looking at. There's an outline you can follow along there. If you want to look in your Bible, we'll be in um, Numbers chapter 11. If you don't have either of those things, you can look on the screen. Everything will need to be on the screen. But for those of you who guys want to follow, you know, follow along with notes, it's, that's where we're going to be. Um, but I noticed something, um, and we all notice it. Every year there's sort of this phenomenon that keeps sort of surprising us every year. We're so appalled by it. It's kind of the vanishing of the Thanksgiving holiday. Because really what you have is, you know, we, every year we walk in to Costco the Tuesday after Labor Day. And it's, it's got all this Christmas stuff. And we're just like, I am just, look at the marketing, just taking over right now. I came here to buy something else, and now I am not going to buy Christmas. Ooh, I do need a fake Christmas tree, and I do need a five-foot-tall nutcracker. And that's just, I just need, but we have that sense of like, I can't believe that this is already out here. It's like our kids, they, you know, they start school, they get a haircut and some new shoes, and then we buy a Halloween costume, and then all of a sudden we're talking about Christmas lights. It's like something is sort of gone. Like, did I miss something? Isn't there something else? Almost as if Thanksgiving itself, the holiday, is just a placeholder for the giant sales which are happening. Like at what point during the Thanksgiving weekend do the Christmas sales start? Somehow or another, we've kind of lost this idea. I mean, even the idea, we, we can start talking about Black Friday, right? Which is, you know, always America's proudest moment. 
But it's, it's kind of a bizarre thing. Even the title is kind of ominous. Do you guys remember the, the I mean, do you know what October 24th, 1929 is called? Black Tuesday. Nobody's like, oh, it's Black Tuesday. If I get up really early, I can buy stuff really cheap. Well, I guess during the Depression, you could buy stuff really cheap. But you get the point here. That doesn't, Black Friday doesn't sound like, this is the greatest idea ever. It sounds like something really awful. Like, this is a bad scenario. Maybe you've seen this internet meme. It pops up every year, every so often with pictures of people getting trampled at Walmart. America, where people trample each other for sales exactly one day after being thankful for what they already have. I mean, what is, that is so America, isn't it? I'm just thankful I have everything I need. Ooh, what time is that sale? I mean, it's like, that's part of our, kind of part of who we are now. I mean, it's kind of what we do. And it points us to this one thing as we consider all of what's going to happen over the next week or so and everything that we're going to see in our, in our glorious country and how much we're going to buy and how much we want to keep and own and all that kind of stuff. It points us to something that everybody's kind of searching for. It's something that may never be a reality for us in some areas of our life. It's the most elusive thing in our lives. It's, the, it's something nobody seems to be able to track down enough. We can't seem to find that thing enough. We live in a world in which there's never that. There's never enough. Whatever we have will be obsolete before we even start it up. Whatever yesterday blew us away with how amazing it was, well, now today it's paperweight. Anybody with an iPhone 4? It's a paperweight. It blew us away with how fast it could do stuff, and now we're like, ugh. What is the deal with this thing? This is so obnoxious. People walking by with the bigger phones, nicer. You know, they're like, oh, I'm sorry. Is that, that's, mine just goes a half a second faster. And we feel it because it's just not enough. We wonder if there's going to be enough. We wonder if in some way or another we'll ever have the experience of being or having enough. And everything that can be purchased promises to get us just one step closer to enough. But there's a gravity towards something, which, that, which is that what we have will always be in sufficient. Whatever we have, there's a little nagging voice that begins to surface almost the instant we get it, which says, it's not going to be enough for you. When God's people, the truth is about this same kind of thinking about how we consider our own lives and our own world about the enoughness of things. God's people, when they're leaving out of the, the story of the Bible really is essentially two t- stories of, of people being from cap- moved from captivity into freedom. And the quintessential story of being moved from captivity to freedom is, of course, the Exodus in the, in the first five books of the Bible, of, which is called the Pentateuch or the Torah. Four of those c- cover the idea of God's people being taken from captivity and into freedom. And they have this experience that's no different than ours in the middle of the desert. Check this out. This is in Numbers 11, beginning in verse 4. It says this. The rabble within them, these are people wandering in the desert, the rabble within them began to crave other food, and again the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. Now, they're wandering in the desert, they've been there for a long time, right? And they start, so a group of people start saying, you know what, the manna that's coming from heaven every day, it's just not cutting it. We're going to need something else, keep on going. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. Man, the menu of captivity was delicious. But now we've lost our appetite. Just for a moment, pause and think about this for a second. 
We have been miraculously rescued from captivity, inexplicably against the most powerful, powerful country in the world with the most powerful ruler ever in history. God has miraculously rescued us. We've wandered out into the desert. We get, we're hungry and food just appears. We kind of lost our appetite for that. We'd rather go back. Look, it says, we never see anything but this manna. Now, they're wandering in the desert. They wonder about all this stuff. They, they get this sense about, this is so great. We're God's people. Listen, for a while, they're like, God's forgotten us. Now he remembers them, rescues them. They eat miraculous food that descends from heaven, essentially. And they, I mean, there's just more of it than they even know what to do with. And finally, they say, we're tired of it. How quickly we become entitled. I was, I told you guys I was in, I was in Israel. And, um, you know, every, <laughs> every, we had, because you move around so much, you stay in a couple different hotels. Now, we stayed in three different hotels, the second of which, I don't know how I lived, because they didn't have an omelet chef. The first hotel I was in, I'm like, ooh, every morning I have an omelet, because that's what I eat when I'm at home. I just, our omelet chef comes out and he makes me an omelet. That's what we do in our house. So we get to this place, and there's no omelet chef, and I'm like, oh, Am I supposed to starve? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) there's all this food here, but there's no omelet, chef. I guess I'm going to have to make my own cereal this morning, like a barbarian. I mean, like I have this understanding that I should have this because I've had it once. I mean, at home, I'm like, you know, I grab a, you know, old piece of pizza and a granola bar and leave for breakfast. I'm like, call that breakfast. And all of a sudden, after the second hotel, hotel, I'm like, I don't think this is going to be enough. I'm just not going to make it out here in the desert. In the footsteps of Jesus. You know, I'm just wondering if I'm going to make it. I mean, this is the Sea of Galilee, right, where we're hanging out at this point, this hotel. And this is like where Jesus confronted the hypocrites of his time. This is where he, you know, he performed all kinds of ministry. He, you know, there's miracles that happen there. And I'm like, wow, an omelet's just too big of a miracle for Jesus. It's sad. I know what he's going to do next. It's just not, he's lost his touch. I mean, it's like, There is so much entitlement that we naturally take on. It is what we just start assuming. We deserve stuff because, you know, we're us. We should start having it. The Israelites say, we want meat. It says in verse 13, where can I get meat for all these people? This is now Moses going. They're complaining a lot and he's talking to God. Where can I get meat? They keep wailing to me. Notice the word wailing. It's not like they're like, hey, Moses. You've been awesome. We love being out here. This is great. There's a lot of sunshine. Thank you. Um, Love the manna. But is there any chance we can make a little tweak to the menu? No, no. It's, we're going to, we don't know what we're going to do. Give us meat. We want meat. And he's like, they keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. Listen to this. If this is how you're going to treat me, talking to God here, please go ahead and kill me. If I have found favor in your eyes and do not let me face my own ruin. (laughs) So if you've ever wondered about the impact of your complaining to anybody else, kill me now, right? If you're a person who is in charge of things, you're a parent, you have a business, you, you are in customer service, you might go home and say, kill me now. Because of the complaining. Now, Moses is hitting on something you're literally, really, I mean, as funny as he is. He's hitting on something here which is kind of important to catch. That somehow the belief in entitlement, the listening, I mean, the, this listening in God's cry, the, somehow or another, there's a kind of subtext that the entitlement brings just a taste of death itself. 
God, I can't stand all these people saying to me, I want more than what has already been miraculously perfect. I mean, they walk outside. They just put it in a basket. They're done. That's easier than a microwave for what they have. And they're going, I need something more. I want something more than that. Somehow or another, the unrestricted craving of things has some kind of destructive power in us. And we know this. I mean, on Friday, I mean, on Saturday, probably more like Friday, Saturday, you'll turn on the news and you'll do the, you'll do the like shameful body count of people that got trampled or got put in the hospital or died from people trying to get into sales somewhere else in the country. And you go, gosh, what's wrong with those people? But it's us. We're all entitled. We live that way all the time. We always want a little bit. We feel like we deserve a little bit more. And it's destructive. Verse 18. Tell the people, God says, Consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow and when you will, when you will eat meat. The Lord heard, heard you when you wailed, for if we had only had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. Now that seems kind of like a strange response from God right there. Hey, I've heard you wailing. And because I'm a wonderful parent, I honor people who nag. And so I've decided to give to you guys meat. Verse 19. You will not eat it for just one day. Oh, no, no. Or two days, or five, ten or twenty days. No, no, no. But for a whole month. Wow, that's a lot of meat. Don't know if we want it quite that much, God, but we were hungry, and I, you know that might be a nice change for the years of the miraculous miracle food, the manna that came from heaven. We'd like a little change. Oh, but wait, there's more. Until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, why do we not ever leave Egypt? Yay, we get meat. Ooh, it's coming out of our nostrils. That's, that's a little gross. I mean, just not coming out of our nostrils is fine. We don't need that much, God. And he says, look really closely. This isn't just about the complaint about the menu for which God is frustrated. That's something for which he's probably frustrated. But what's really getting after here is he's, he's saying to them, the issue for which I'm angry is that you're wondering why did we ever leave Egypt? We loved being slaves, is what he said. He's saying, that's going to be a problem for me. And when people start imagining, there's something kind of interesting that happens here. We get a really close look at this. We start wanting the captivity. He starts saying, because you guys want captivity because of the material benefit. That's a problem. What you have here is literally the epitome of the appetite for destruction, Guns N' Roses fans. You are in this place now, and you are longing to go back to a place in which you were slaves because you had access to material things that you do not have now. That's what you're saying. Listen to that again. You people want to go back to a place in which you were slaves, God says, because of the access you had to material things. And Therein lies the trap of entitlement. Because it's really important to catch this. It's that when we, so the entitlement trap, which God's speaking about, to which we tend to fall into every so often, is defining freedom as our ability to acquire things. As long as I can get stuff, I'm free. I feel free. I feel like, but the moment I can't buy things, acquire things, have ownership over things, I start wondering if I'm really free. And God's saying, wait a second. He's saying, you people, Israelites, are free now from the captivity of, of the, the most brutal torture, the most oppressive regime ever. And what you keep saying to me is, I wish we could go back because we had access to more stuff. How that must break his heart. Moses goes on. 
It says this. This uh, number is 11.22. Would they have enough? This is, oh, this is number 11.21. Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? Remember, God's just told them, I'm going to have, there's going to be so much meat, it's going to come out of their nostrils. Verse 22, which is, oops, shoot, I missed it. Oh, darn it. Someone, here, let's see. This is really embarrassing. I'm just going to look right there. Never mind. Would they have enough? Amen, someone says. Thank you. I don't know why, but yes. That just means yes in the Bible. I don't have it. Would they have enough if flocks and herds are slaughtered? Would they have enough? Notice what the question Moses is asking. Would there ever be enough for them? You're going to give them all of this food you're promising, and I'm wondering, God, is it ever going to be enough? If you took all the flocks and all the herds and all the ocean, all the fish, if you get... Would that ever be enough? Now the question which we wonder in our own lives is, at some point it would be enough for me. I would stop wanting. I know that would I just, I, but I just want to try it. There's a story that came out not too long ago about the guy who created the video game Minecraft, which is the biggest video game in the history of all video games. So if you don't know what it is, um, basically all it is, it's like digital Legos. You know, you look at it, you can create a little world, and the, there's, there's, it's, it's the most simple graphics ever for any game. And you can create a little world out of, you know, little blocks. They're just little cubes. And people spend hours and hours and hours playing this game, which not yet. Thank you for that slide, though. Now you know what's coming. Okay, but they have, um, they spent all this time doing this. And the owner sold all, he sold his, he sold his company to Microsoft. He became, instantly he became, but he got $2.5 billion. Here's what he tweets. The problem, we'll put that on the screen because we're like, I can't read it. There we go. The problem with getting everything is you run out of reasons to keep trying and human interaction becomes impossible due to imbalance. Because what we say is, if I had everything, then that would be enough. He has everything. And he says, it's not enough. Secondly, he says this, his second tweet. Hanging out in Ibiza, which is basically like the Mediterranean version of Cabo. Hanging out in Ibiza with a bunch of friends and partying with famous people, able to do whatever I want. I've never felt more isolated. Now, what we all say is, in our heart of hearts, what we all say is, yeah, but I'd be different. I mean, just give me $2.5 billion. I will, I promise I will find a way to be happy. <laughs> but I just, there's something wrong with him, but I'd be happy. There's something wrong with him. There is a belief in us, which Moses is articulating to God, which is this one. Would there ever be enough? If we had access to everything we could have ever wanted, everything that we will ever want, would that be true freedom or would there be something else that describes that kind of experience? Would it really be enough? The whole world wonders it at this time. We're like, America is publicly self-ashamed. Like, we just go, look at us. We just, what are, what's our problem with this? We just, every year we do this to ourselves. We rack up huge debt. We buy things we don't need. We just go, what are we doing? Continues on. Verse 31, we'll skip down a little bit. Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail from the sea. It scattered them up to two cubits deep all around the camp, as far as a day's walk in any direction. That's a lot of quail. All that day and night and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than 10 homers. That's some amount of like tons. Then they spread them out all around the camp. So there is quail beyond quail. It's quail town. It's quail city, right? But while the meat was still between their teeth and before it could, could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people and he struck them with a severe plague. Not so good anymore. 
Therefore the place was named Kibroth Hata'avah, because there they buried the people who craved other food. Now, you have now, they have everything they ever could have wanted. And God goes, there is something so destructive about you when your appetite for craving for something, something material, it's, when your appetite exceeds your ability to appreciate freedom, then we have to start dealing with you people because it's so destructive. And he names this place a unique name. Kibroth Hata'avah, which means the graves of craving. It's a place where people, when their appetites go unchecked, ends up bringing about death itself. And the place is named for people who could not stop seeing that there was never going to be enough. It's a serious thing. It's so serious God would, God would address in this way that it was like going to compromise the entire mission of freedom whatsoever. Now, who's buried there? It just says the people who chose the, quote, other food. Which means that some people in the camp weren't worried about They were fine with the manna. They're kind of like, hey, the miraculous food's pretty darn good. We're good with it. So it means only a certain amount of people decided that what they had wasn't enough, which means it's escapable. Which means there's some way for us in some way or another to not have to fall into that trap, which is what I want to talk about now. now. Every year we get together this time and I say basically the same stuff. And some people who have been here the past couple years, you know, you know what's coming. And for those of you who are new with us, you're going to hear people repeat stuff back to me. And I'm going to want you to join them in it. Okay? Because you need it. We all need it. Because otherwise we're going to trip ourselves right into entitlement. Now, here's what we got to do. Okay, you guys? There is a way out of this. And here's what we do. The first thing you do is this. You say these words, I don't need that. Some of you tried to whisper it right there. I don't, I don't need that. You don't like saying it. Okay? On the count of three, I'm going to want you to say this phrase, okay? One, two, three. Yeah, not quite. Not quite. Let me explain. We're going to come back to this. I'm going to need you guys with a lot more energy than that. Not, I don't need that. Because you really do think you do and you don't. This phrase started in our house not too long ago. My kids, I was watching them watch a, an infomercial on some useless pillow toy or something like that. You know, and it like converted from a dog into a pillow. Oh, my gosh. And they're just, they're just dumping a drool coming out of their, their faces just like, Dad, I need that. And I immediately was like, wait a second. You don't need that. Regular pillows are fine. Stuffed animals are fine. You don't need the combo of the two. You got stuff right now. So when, I, when stuff comes on, I see them get the blank look on their face, and they're watching TV, whatever kind of ad comes on, I, and I could see it. Immediately their mind goes, you could just see their mind switch from, I'm just watching TV to, I need that. I just tell them. I go, kids. Hey, what do we say? And they look at me like, ugh, I don't need that. I go, well, I didn't hear you guys. And they're like, I don't need that. I'm like, okay, because we don't need that. You have everything you need, right? Now when, <laughs> now, when I'm driving in the car and something really shiny drives by next to me, and they see me drooling, looking at that really shiny, nice thing, my daughter, more than anybody else, would go, Dad, what are you supposed to say? Shh, take a nap, take a nap. Shh, shh, I'm your father, okay? It's different for me, okay? You'll understand, okay, someday when you have kids of your own. She'll look at me like, are you serious? And I'm like, no, I'm not serious. I don't need that. So we're going to try this on because you need this discipline going into these next couple of days. If you don't have it, it will ruin your Thanksgiving, all right? 
You with me? Okay, I don't want to hear anybody softly respond, I, I don't need that. Okay, because I need you to look at the person you came with, whoever it, was, whoever it is. If you're by yourself, that's all right. But you, you're telling it to yourself, whatever you came with. You both are getting permission to say this to each other during this next season. Brace yourselves, because here it comes. Because some of you are like, you don't need, like, there's some things you don't think you need, and it's fine, but there's things that you really need, and you have to say, I don't need that. For instance, there's a brand new iPad that just came out. Oh, man. You can, the latest ad has it literally you exploring space, like, oh, I'm in a supernova now. This is so great. It's some explorer out in the middle of the desert with an iPad. You know, it's like, some of you are like, I would never take my iPad to the desert. But there's this person out there, come, the iPad comes with like a kayak and a Swiss army knife all built in. It's amazing. It takes perfect pictures. And you can space travel and jump on it. It will give you a ride to work. That's how awesome this iPad is. And you will look at it and you will say, yeah. But you got to say it better than that, okay. That was almost there. You will look at that new iPad. It's enormous. It's as big as this. You put this whole TV in your backpack. That's how awesome it is. And you will take it with you. You will remove it and show it to your friends. Seeing all that, you will say, there you go. Now we're getting warmed up. You have seen the buy one, get one sale on cute booties with the fringe on it. Oh, man, are they cute. You have seen how cute it makes your legs look when you walk in them. You have noticed, you believe, and you know you will be a far better person should you slip those on your feet. Because everybody will look at those cute booties with the fringe, and they will say, man, those are great. And you will say, ooh, got a little quieter. <laughs> Guys are fine. Like, oh, I don't need that. Bring it on. Ladies, I there's, I mean, there's exceptions to the rule. I don't. Okay, just for the ladies in the room. Guys, this was an easy one for you. If it wasn't an easy one for you, we have to talk. <laughs> okay, ladies, about those cute booties. Buy one, get one, free. Buy one, get one, half off. What will you say? <laughs> Not even close. I'm going to try this one more time. Make me proud. About those shoes, the cute ones, you will say. There we go. Welcome back. When you see the ad for the new 4K ultra high definition television with a pizza oven built into the back. With a picture so realistic when you're watching MMA fights, you actually can get punched in the face. You will say, well, That was good. Some of you are like, I don't want to be punched in the face. I hate that. When you're at the mall and someone offers you that, I just found this out, this is an actual thing. Okay, so I, don't, I didn't know this was a thing, but. Someone offers you that makeup palette that has only one color of the thing that you need, but it's only 40 bucks, and you get a little handbag with it too, and you know that should you put that on, you will look 50 years younger. You'll look like an infant. People go, oh my gosh, can I hold you? Oh. You will just, look, you will have no more wrinkles. You will, and everything of you that's not flattering, people will just, they'll just, oh, that's just baby fat. It's just a little... 
Kilo, love fat babies. That's, you know that's what's going to happen. When you see that makeup palette, when that person is pressing you saying, I will throw in a bag, and yes, you will also get this handy carrying case, you will say, oh, the lady said with joy. When you go to the store and you see that shirt, the one that looks exactly the same as the two you already own, you will say, because you know you've done that before. Look what I got. I got this new sweater. You mean it's just like this one that just came out of the laundry? No, it's different. There's a different label in the thing. It's, just it's exactly the same. Right? We've all done that. There is so much that we have coming up in our life right now to which we will want to say, and every marketer in the world will be wanting you to believe that you need it, and you will have to say with great energy at the television, out loud, to each other, you will have to say, when you go to Target, oh, that was, wow, that was really a tough place to land. <laughs> Everybody just got a little, everything, people are like, this is just too judgmental of a place, I'm leaving. <laughs> you know, this used to be a nice place where I could learn some things and I could, we're all on the same journey, but now he just crossed the line. He challenged the mighty T. Wow. How often, you cannot walk into Target and not walk out without paying $200. I came here for some socks, but I also bought an oven and a blender, and I bought, you know, it's like we can't, you will, you will shop at Target. You will put things into your cart, and you will have to assess at that moment. Do I, someone will shop with you. you this requires a team effort. Next couple of days, go with someone else who can say, really? And you have to go, I don't need that, and put it back. Some of you are like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> You ask too much. Even God's not that big, okay? <laughs> I don't need that needs to be the thing that you say over and over again throughout this season. I don't need that. You need to look at other people whom you love and say, do you need that? Or do you need to say, I don't need that? It's so critical. Because what we're actually saying is, we're declaring by that statement, I have enough. I have found enough. God is good and I have enough. That's what you're saying. Or else we just get swept into everything else once again. Let me give you, just kind of as we think about it, which leads us to the next thing we have to say, but it leads us to something called contentment. And the art of contentment is wanting what I already have and not wanting any more. The art of contentment, which leads us really to this idea of saying, I don't need that, the result of it, sort of in some way or another, is this contentment, which is what we all want. If you ask people the world over, hey, what is it that you really want for yourself in your life? People will say, I just want to be happy. That's all I really want, which is what you're saying is I just want to be content. And it's wanting what I already have and not wanting anymore. That is contentment. That's a person who can do the next thing. They can say thank you. Now, we're going to spend a lot of time on Wednesday, which is why it's so important that you're there, talking about this very idea. But like... So often in the Bible, even in the midst when the Apostle Paul is writing letters to people about the church who's being persecuted and overrun, people are dying, being locked up and jailed. He has all these instructions for people. And the very last thing tends to be, oh, and always be thankful. Like as if it does something to us when we're thankful. Something happens in our own hearts. Something happens to our own soul in which we go, I'm a different person when I'm thankful. There's some research indicating this is really interesting. Couples who are grateful for the, for the spouse, for their spouse, almost universally have happier marriages. Almost universally have happier marriages. People who are constantly deciding, you know, my spouse really has kind of let me down. They're always, they're always not enough. 
that's a doomed marriage. Not doomed, but it's on a path to destruction. When we can find a way to say thank you and to be grateful, something happens to us. The Bible will say it this way, a bunch of different ways, but here's probably some of the most famous. Psalm 100 verse 4 says this, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. The other way to say this is, the password into God's presence is, <laughs> someone's about to say, I don't need that, almost. <laughs> the password into God's presence, let me help you. Okay, some, we need a little practice. The password into God's presence is, Thank you. Some of you are longing to figure out where God is and you haven't figured out where he is. Let me tell you, this literally says you will enter into his presence with gratefulness. Gratefulness. It is so hard for us to find a way to be grateful. Because there is a way in which we unentitle ourselves, and that's a discipline of gratitude. We are an entitled people. We're appalled when things don't work out the way that we plan them to be, the things that we paid for, the things that we expect. We just, we just imagine that our life should be better because we're us. And when we start thinking about that and living in that reality, we lose the ability to be thankful and we lose the ability to enter into God's presence with great confidence. So during the next few days, don't just chalk it up to marketing. Oh, they just want us to say thank you all the time. It's the marketers advertising, eating together and saying thank you. Don't give do it. Actually do it. Wednesday, we'll take time. We'll give you a chance to pause. Consider what that might look like. You'll write some stuff down. You'll hear from other people who will talk about the ways in which God has been good to them, the reasons why they can be thankful, and it will shape you. So we're going to say thank you. Now, this is the most uncomfortable one. You guys ready for this? Some of you are like, Target was the peak. I don't know if I could go any farther once you started talking about Target. But there is something else we have to consider. The remedy for our entitlement can be found only when we release ourselves from our power to acquire things. And you're like, what does that mean? Our power to acquire things in our world is money. That's the way we acquire things. When we start saying, I'm going to release some of that power, I'm released from being owned by those things, I'm released from entitlement. So one of the things you have to wrestle with during this time, maybe the, you know, all the time we should wrestle with it, but one of the things we have to wrestle with, if we're really going to free ourselves from this belief in our entitlement, from this belief that we need everything, that we should have everything, and all of that, whatever goes with that, is that we're going to have to figure out how to be generous. We're going to have to figure out how to do this. Now, I don't mean, now, there's two ways to look at this. From a biblical perspective, I don't have time to go into this all today, but from a biblical perspective, everybody in here is a created thing, and all the things in the world are created things, and the creator of all things is the one who is the owner. We are what the Bible will call stewards or managers of those things. We don't own anything. We just get to manage it. And because it's so easy for us to forget that, one of the, one, like the fastest, easiest way to break ourselves from that lie that says we own it, we own the stuff, is to give stuff away. Or more accurately, to give away our power to acquire things. From a biblical perspective, we are just managers. God owns everything. And when we are generous, we're making a declaration. 
my stuff will not own me. All the stuff I can acquire, it doesn't own me. In fact, even more courageously, the cousin of I don't need that is I'm willing to go without it so I can be generous to other people. Well, I I thought I needed that, but I guess I don't because that enables me to be generous to other people. And when we talk about being generous, what I want you to understand is this. There's a lot of ways to look at this. There is spontaneous, at random giving, which is good. And you should do that. And there is also a determination to make it part of your budget that says, in order to free myself of the trappings of this world, I'm going to regularly make an adjustment to the way that I live every paycheck to be generous. I have never had anybody ever come to me and say, you know what, I really regret being generous. Every year we all could tell the story of that thing we bought that we thought, why in the world did I buy that? We have garages full of stuff we don't need, but none of us who have given stuff away have ever said, man, that was a huge mistake except my mom gave away my Star Wars toys. You don't do that. Other than that, everything else is fine. But you get what I'm saying, right? Generosity is part of a lifestyle, one in which we build into our lives, frees us from entitlement. It enables us to be grateful, and it's, an, it's a way in which we say, I have enough, I have more than enough, and I can give it away. I will choose to live differently so that other people might benefit from my generosity. The Bible will say it this way. 2 Corinthians 9.11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, once in a while or all the time. And And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now, I wonder, having read this a bunch of times, is the, gener- is the thanksgiving the re- is the re- just the recipient who says, I'm so grateful that you gave, now I can be thankful to God? Or is the person who is generous able to be a person who can give thanks? The answer is yes. So during this season, we're gonna, like I said, Wednesday, make sure you come back for that. But during this season, we will say, I don't need that. With greater energy, with greater passion than we ever have. We will say it out loud to each other. We will look at our children who are looking at the television and we'll make them say it. And they will, make, they will make us say it too. And we will do our best to say it. No, we'll say it. We'll take a moment and we'll pause and we'll go, what, are, what am I really thankful for? The, the things, people that are hardest to be thankful for in your life, your family, are going to be at your house or you're going to be at their house and you're going to find a reason to be thankful for them. As tough as it might be. And you're going to learn how to be generous, taking risks and generosity to see what God might do. That's how we avoid the graves of craving. Let's pray together. Jesus, we acknowledge right now that we have more than enough. And though everything in the world would point to the fact that we don't have enough, You have given us everything that we need and more so that we can be generous in every way. Father, as we sing these songs of gratitude, as we we approach Christmas with greater and greater rapidity, let us not forget a moment to be grateful, a moment of thankfulness. Father, would you speak to us about how we might find gratitude in a fresh way? 
Lord, I know even in the midst of real trials, I was talking to people before service, there's still a reason to be grateful. For some of you, as we approach these holidays, I know for some of you, you need prayer. Kira mentioned it earlier during the announcements. But I don't want you to miss the opportunity to come forward and receive prayer from folks who love to pray with you. So Jesus, with those folks who need prayer, feel freed up to come forward to receive prayer from our elders and prayer team during our response time or after the service perhaps. But Jesus, would you hear our prayer set to music as we say thank you out loud, as we sing with full hearts and with full voices. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Amen.